Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 19, Rules of Engagement. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and directed by LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton directed a lot of episodes this season. It makes me very happy. I've just been noticing I've been saying his name a lot. Rules of Engagement aired on April 8th, 1996. That's my parents' birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) This week on Deep Space Nine, the Klingons try to extradite Worf after he accidentally destroys a transport full of Klingon civilians. So this episode definitely only has one plot. There's no A plot, B plot, C plot. There is just the plot. I liked, and I mean, this isn't my nominee for most Star Trek thing, but I like how they did the like opening, like the cold open sequence of, you know, Worf's nightmare and you find out he's in the holding cell and, you know, the, the Klingon attack on the Defiant and everything else because it's like, it does that slow motion, the camera's at, you know, the weird angle or at the, you know, different angle than we normally see for TV and it's just that kind of disoriented feeling and it's like, yeah, this is, this is a Star Trek de- dream sequence for sure. Oh, totally agree. Um, it's fun and disorienting and just like, what's happening? There were actually, um, while we're kind of in our, our initial thoughts section here, there are quite a few interesting stylistic choices that I that I that I really enjoyed in this episode. Me too. And were intentional. Of course, it was intentional, but were actually the suggestion of Ira because he was looking for ways to differentiate this courtroom episode, this courtroom drama episode of Star Trek from other courtroom episode dramas of Star Trek. Yeah, I really liked how um, the witnesses were, like, talking to us slash the court, but then they were, like, dropped into the scene of what they're describing. Um, So it's almost like a narrated flashback. I found that a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, like, almost a fourth wall break, but not quite because they're actually talking to, like, you know, in the courtroom, but they're staring right down the camera. And just, yeah, I thought it was, like quite effective i i really enjoyed that of this episode me too and my one my one major complaint is that like Worf's just like sitting there the whole time doing really nothing i mean he gets to throw in a punch occasionally but um yeah it just felt like everything was happening like around him you know no totally and it's interesting that you bring that up because you know, if you're going through the Deep Space Nine Companion or the Deep Space Nine Companion quotes on Memory Alpha, whether it was Ron Moore or Ira himself, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of the writers feeling like they spent so much time focusing on kind of, I don't want to say the gimmick of the episode, but the writing, the narrative writing device of the like quasi fourth wall breaks that they kind of forgot to give Worf, who was on trial, something to do in the episode. So they felt like you that it didn't totally work whereas i'm a little bit on the opposite side i think i kind of disagree because like it it gives that sense of all these things that are swirling around wharf right all these like machinations and all these other forces and it's like kind of feeling a somewhat kind of helpless feeling as you know chopak and everything else like the machinations around him so i like I didn't mind it as much, but it's just interesting right. that both you and the writers disagree with me. 
Um, or we can just say I disagree with the I agree with the writers, and you disagree with the writers. We don't have to have a fight between them ourselves. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. I don't. Mean I'm like just that joking. Way. I know like, we're not just... fighting. Um, speaking of Chopak, um, Ron Canada is the actor who plays um, Advocate Chopak, and I think he does a great job. Um, he's frustrating in a way that if you are, like, on Worf's side, um, you will feel, um, because he's clearly trying to trick Worf into, like, embarrassing himself or, like, contradicting himself the whole time. Um, one thing I found, uh, he, so Ron, so Ron Canada, which I think he has, like, an amazing name. I'm obsessed with it. Um, he has also been in episodes, uh, an episode of TNG and an episode of Voyager, though I did not write down which ones. Um, I'm, I've seen those, obviously. But I didn't know he was a leading candidate for the role of Martok, who we saw in the season four premiere. I think that that character was correctly cast, um, but it would have been really interesting to see Ron Canada in that role. And I, that's something that could definitely be... Um another candidate for most Star Trek thing where it's like you have someone who's in the the running for a, a larger um, reoccurring role or something like that or even a main cast role right. and they end up coming back as like a, a guest star or like guest stars again like the I think a good example of that is is Jeffrey Combs Red mm. for Riker yeah um, as well as uh, Billy Campbell who plays the outrageous Okada and you know folks will, will be remember with him the Rocketeer and what was that TV show he was on with Celia Ward in the 90s? I don't remember. Oh, um, um, I feel like he was in, she was in, what was the show that she was in? Was it like... Because they were in a show together, weren't they? Well, she, Celia Ward, was she in um that show Sisters? Yeah. Was it the Sisters? That's the only show I, I, remember, I remember that she was in um in the 90s. That was from 91 to 96. Um, It also had Susie Kurtz in it. But maybe it wasn't this one. Anyways, he uh, he read for Riker as well, so those are the oh, ones I didn't that know that. Sent to, and and um and there's in TNG too. I can't remember the name of the actor who plays the Traveler, um, but he read for for Data. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I just can't imagine any of our main Star Trek characters being played by any one else than who they're played by like like i can like for a five minutes or whatever but like in general i just yeah. the casting has been so good that i just like nobody plays like anyone that i don't think they should play it's like so perfect i don't remember if we talked about this like when we did season one in the early episodes of this podcast but uh sadig um read for cisco hey yeah, we did talk about this, and we yeah, agreed that we were young. happy that yeah. it went how it was because he was like too. I feel like I don't remember exactly what we said, but like he's too. He was too young, I think. Um, yeah, and I think that was what. Yeah, that's part were. of what I remember. So a little bit more background on uh, on kind of the the genesis of this episode. So the ron moore wrote the teleplay but the story was written by david waddell and bradley thompson um remember those names they may or may not join the ds9 writers room in coming seasons um (laughs) but ira was reading a biography on the director sam peckinpah that david waddell 
wrote and was so into the biography that he approached David Waddell. I was like, hey, do you want to do like a story for, for Star Trek? And Bradley Thompson was Waddell's writing partner. And Thompson at the time was studying computer failures and what happens when a major computer system doesn't work like it's supposed to. And one of the examples he was looking at was the Iran Air Flight 655 USS Vincennes incident in 1988, in which the U.S. naval vessel, the Vincennes, shot down an Iranian passenger aircraft killing all 290 passengers and crew. The U.S. government claimed that the computerized missile system mistook the the airliner for a fighter jet because it wasn't supposed to be where it was supposed to be and the right. pilot wasn't listening to the frequency, um, the warning notification. So that was the idea of the genesis of Starfleet being involved in um, an incident that led to the death of civilians. Wow, that's wild. I don't think that I know much about that, so... That is just it's not great. I mean, you were what four? Um, <laughs> I was um six, but yeah, I mean, even enough. in kindergarten, I don't think you're getting told about those kind of things. <laughs> no, it's I mean, it's like the move bombing too, right? Like, anyways, that mm-hmm. not to yeah 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 and move it on. But you forgot there's... to ask me if I remembered this episode. You're oh fuck! Slacking on the job here. Um, so I'm just going to volunteer that I did not remember this episode. <laughs> <laughs> See, what sticks out for me in this one, where, like, I actually really like this episode. Is it, like, an all-timer? No. But I think because of the, like, quasi-fourth wall breaks and how they do it, I just, I stylistically like this episode, and it, it yeah, sticks out I don't for think me, it's but... a bad episode or anything. It just, um, I just like when Worf has stuff to do. Of which... He doesn't in this episode. <laughs> For a smack wharf around episode, he doesn't have a lot a lot going on, a lot to do. But one thing one thing we both like to get into the plot of it, um, or the thick of it, or however you wanna say that. Into the thick of it. We have a court into the thick of we it. have like a courtroom slash court hearing slash some sort of court um episode, y'all. Yay. I love it. I enjoy the dynamics of a courtroom drama when it's in something that doesn't normally have a courtroom drama. And this will be um, reinforced by the fact that last night I watched the movie um, Sharp's Revenge, which is one of the um, Sean Bean uh, Sharp films that takes place during the Napoleonic War. And Last night was my favorite Camby episode because the, one of my favorite characters basically gets to like pretend that he's a lawyer because um, the war's over and Sharp's being like accused of all these bad things and this guy just gets to be like all lawyery um, and it's wonderful. So I very much similarly get excited when Cisco <laughs> gets to be lawyery. Although that character Fredrickson in um, Sharp's Revenge says that now that the war's over, he is going to go be a lawyer um one more amusing fact about this thing that i'm that no one else has seen is that he says that he learned about lawyering because someone gave him a, a lawyer's book to wipe his ass with and he decided to read it instead <laughs> oh, i love dad television it's so good i just need everyone in my life to watch these sharp movies <laughs> like no one's doing it 
and I need to. You're watching them on BritBox? Is that like? Yes, I am. I'm watching them on BritBox, though the DVDs are somewhere in the house, so like I didn't need to have BritBox for it. But Tessa's like been in the room, in and out of the room a couple times when I watched it, and I think I've convinced her to to watch it. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's nice to like you know have the the DVDs available. Mm-hmm. Just in case, right? Because yeah. if I didn't have Deep Space Nine on DVD, we we couldn't be doing this podcast currently. Yeah. Because I was watching it on Crave just because it was easy, mm-hmm. and it was there. And now it's taken off, and it's only on Paramount Plus, which is a service I don't yet subscribe to. That's so. fair. I ended up buying mm-hmm. the whole show on iTunes, which I mean. When you say buying it on iTunes, I just bought the rights to watch it whenever I wanted to, not like <laughs> buy, you know, I don't own it, but it was on sale for 30 bucks. So I was like, why not? Um, so like, mm-hmm. at least I can download it to my computer <laughs> as well. There you go. There you go. They had a lot of, um, I actually have TNG, Enterprise, and TOS. They were 30, I bought them each when they were like $30. I have not sprung for Voyager yet, but if the sale comes back, I might. There you go. So, TLDR, because (laughs) of this um, incident where um, Worf has accidentally killed um, Klingon civilians... The Empire, the Klingon Empire sends an advocate, Chapak, to Starfleet to be like, hey, I think you should extradite him to us so that we can give him a trial um, the Klingon way because he did these things to us. And so the Admiral, the Vulcan Admiral, Admiral, whose name I never caught, has to decide if this goes to, if they're going to let Worf uh, be given to the Klingons or not. I do enjoy when they do, like, regular trial stuff. Like, at the beginning, Chapak is like, these are the witnesses we're going to call. And then we, like, eventually get to, like, see the witnesses, you know, on the stand and stuff. Um, and Chapak is not very... I mean, he, he's... he's. I'm trying to think of the right word. He's a little bit, like, showing his cards, but not completely. But he basically says, you know, we're doing this because we want it to be, we want to look sympathetic when we try to destroy you later, which I thought was um, kind of funny to admit to. He does some good lawyering, right? Like, truth be told, he, like, does better lawyering than um, Cisco does through the bulk of the the tribunal You get the impression that this is his normal job, basically. Like, he knows what he's doing. Well, and it's, it's the whole idea of, and like, again, this is something that we, we see a couple times over the course of, of Star Trek, the idea of the uh, Klingon lawyer, right? And the ways in which where the courtroom is like another another type of battlefield, right? So. I just almost started singing Love is a Battlefield, but then I decided to spare everyone. Well, no one can tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I kind of laughed at the um, at the quote when Cisco says you can't put a man's heart on trial because I feel like that may be true in what's supposed to be reality, but in reality that is not how anything works. Um, well, I mean, why have, like... why have character witnesses ever if that's like the case? <laughs> yeah, it's like. 
and like this is one of the cases where i agree with chilpak where it's like yeah no motive matters yeah right it's not just i was thinking of like hate crimes in general and how like the motive is very important in in knowing those things yeah exactamundo we also have throughout the episode, um, Odo is like doing investigations behind the scenes for Cisco, and he at one point, like later in the episode, says, "I'm always suspicious of people who are eager eager to help the pol- a police officer." And I'm like, "Me too, Odo. Me too." <laughs> but I understand what he means. Like, if someone's like, "Yeah, I'll talk," like immediately, like they might have an ulterior motive. Yeah, yeah. So we have um, various. Oh, sorry. Did you sorry? Have- just before we jump jump into that, the mm-hmm. whole like the whole Odo stuff that happens off screen very much could have been its its own episode. Mm-hmm. But like the stakes of this episode and the type of like military courtroom drama and stuff is, it's like if it focused a little bit more on the Odo stuff, like in my mind, Odo's Jack Ryaning this shit, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> Like oh it could be God. like a, like a Jack Ryan kind of Tom yes. Clancy sort of like you know novel like situation and it's like not that. the part of it that we see but like if the A plot was more focused no, on you're like totally you know right. the analyst investigation shit like yeah well if you think about it like if we had a whole like the whole if we had like the whole investigation where I mean I assume Odo is the one who finds out it's all a ruse you know and we don't see yeah. that part yeah, yeah, happening yeah. and I think. If we saw that, I do think that episode might have worked a little bit better for me um, because the way it is now, it comes, it feels like the conclusion just comes out of nowhere. Like, yeah, um, yeah. it's a bit of a deus ex machina a little bit. Yeah. And like, it would be just like one scene where he's finding out because I mean, Cisco basically tells him, look into the history of everybody who was on board this ship and i feel like as soon as you find out that those people were on the other ship like that's the end of it you know so we could have had a little bit of a scene with that so this is our list of witnesses we have um jadzia who is basically there to comment on Worf's character we have cisco who is brought in to explain how he explained the mission to Worf. we have quark who's there to describe Worf's pre-mission mood <laughs> Um, and then we have O'Brien, who is there to describe what happened during the mission. And then obviously we ha- they put Worf on the stand to like directly ask him questions. Um, I do think, excuse me, the um, Jedzy is the first person we get where they kind of switch. They do the like fun thing where they have her talking like kind of at us while she's describing. Um, her 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 playdates with um with Worf in the in the hollow suite. And actually the way that they do it in this episode, like where she's like fighting him but talking to us, is felt so early sex in the city to me. Because in seasons one and two, there were a lot of like interludes in between the narrative where she was like interviewing people and they were just like talking to the screen. And there was a scene specifically where I remember Miranda, like, talking about, like, a date that she went on and, like, kind of being in the date, but also talking to the screen and saying, like, X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, I, this show came out before Sex and the City, so, like, obviously they weren't basing it off of that, but that is, that, (laughs) 
bit like just is ingrained in my memory. So it, it really brought back Sex in the City early days for me. I do think it's really weird and annoying that the Klingon advocate tries to imply that if you like playing a conqueror in your Suite program, you might, you probably are also a piece of shit in real life. It reminds me of people who base their opinions on people by what fiction they like. Um, like, for example, oh, if you like Darth Vader or Kylo Ren, you must be a fascist. Like, that is not, there's no value in that, like characters are complex and it's okay to be drawn to someone even if they're a shitty character oh sorry a shitty person um that doesn't mean they're a bad character to enjoy it's just all very ridiculous I, i'll and take it like a step further it's like basically like i consider it like you know the hollow novels and that type of stuff where you're acting out a role like it's basically like playing a video game yeah exactly. and so it's like saying oh you did a renegade playthrough of mass effect you must be a real life war criminal. yeah it feels a hundred percent like that and we all know that that is not true because being a renegade is fun i'm scared of doing it because i always feel guilty but if I didn't feel guilty, that wouldn't make me a bad person. Yeah. It's fake. <laughs> okay, spoilers for a like 10 plus year old game in, in Mass Effect 3. Wait, but I, I, still haven't, a... I still haven't finished this. Are you okay, going to well, spoil me? Is it like about the ending? Not about the ending ending. Just have you done the Tachanka stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can you can say that. Yep, totally. With the, like the genophage and everything yep, yep, else? Yep, so... we're all good. So you have the opportunity to, like, kill this, like, to end something called the genophage in Mass Effect, which is this this virus that was, you know, created to prevent this one race from basically reproducing successfully. And, you know, it's basically like a slow, a slow genocide virus. You have the opportunity to um, cure it or you can keep it in place. And I was listening to a podcast once, a Mass Effect podcast, and the hosts were on a panel talking about Mass Effect at the at some at convention. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, who isn't going to cure the genophage, right? Like even if you're doing a Renegade playthrough, you cure the genophage." And it's like, "Everyone put your hands up if you didn't cure the genophage." And like there's a room of like 200 people and one person put their hand up. <laughs> did they bring that person up to ask them questions no i don't i don't think it was just like so just, I, I should, I should be like. very clear in saying that i also cured the genophage i assume you did as well did you oh i mean of course i did <laughs> um of course i did i i do like some of the like renegade prompts like my last playthrough i like there, even when I'm doing like a mostly pure Paragon playthrough, there are a couple Renegade prompts oh, that I'll do because yeah. it because it makes it easier. But like, there's one, there's one I was doing like a little bit more like no nonsense. I was doing more of them, but like some of them are pretty ba. Like I don't punch any of the reporters, but it's like when you're doing the Garrus mission, like the Archangel yeah. mission in Mass Effect Two, where you can, you know, make the fake the space helicopter like weak to start by like you know electrocuting that guy or whatever. Yeah, I yeah, usually only like if the if the person like talking to me is like a clearly a bad guy or like needs to be put in their place, I will choose the renegade option, but I mostly am either neutral or par- uh paragon. 
the old chaotic neutral it's really funny we've gotten to this point where like occasionally when i do like chores um lazi or um tessa will give me paragon points like like i mean there's not like a running tally but like if i did my laundry or something like that they're like you get paragon points because i was like i think one day like a year ago i was like i need motivation to do my chores it was very funny only paragons do their laundry so Cisco's brought, did we talk about what? Yeah, I did the basics, but I didn't get yeah. into Like, I didn't really think that there was that much for me to talk about, about like what Cisco or Quark had said. Yeah. Um, that's why I just yeah. had written like why they were brought in as witnesses. Yeah. Um, I think the interview of O'Brien is a little bit more interesting because uh, he's asked if he thinks work because he was there when Worf made his decision to um, to fire on that ship. And he a- he's asked if he thinks Worf made the correct decision, and he chooses his words extremely carefully. He's like, I stand by Worf's decision. Um, and that, like, did not work for Chapak. He was, or Chapak, he was, like, probing him a lot more. Um, and he basically had O'Brien declared as, like, a battle expert or something because he'd been in battle, like, 235 times. So he says, like, well, what would you have done if you were in that situation? And and O'Brien, I think rightfully, is like, I can't make that de- declaration because I know the outcome already. And I think that that is a really... Yeah. I mean, it, it comes out in the end that O'Brien does not think he would have fired on that ship. But he... Once you know that those are civilians, you really can't know what you would have done in the situation. Because you're... You know, you are kind of blinded by the fact that you know that they're innocent people. Yeah. But he, it comes out that O'Brien eventually is just like, yeah, I probably, I would not have done the same thing. But I do think like the, you know, Worf was in command. I support him. Feels very um, Starfleet. Because he says he's been in Starfleet for 22 years and he's known Worf for nine years. So he doesn't think that Worf would do something like that on purpose. No, and, like, that's something that I did kind of, like, appreciate, like, once, I mean, maybe I'm skipping ahead too far here to that's the end right. of the episode, where it's, like, after we've had the deus ex machina, know that it was a it was a, a Klingon plot to, like, you know, discredit the Federation and get them to stop guarding the, the Cardassian convoys, um, but, like, Cisco dresses down Worf and is like, you bet your ass you should have checked, yep. like, you know what I mean, so. Totally. Yeah. Um, they get Worf on the stand as well. Um, and he's very... Which is typically a bad idea. Yes. Like... Yeah, I've watched a lot Even if you are innocent, like, they're, like, most, like, um, most, uh, defense... Yeah, they Defense wouldn't put the like teams are like it's it's a big risk to put your client on the stand because yes. they can get trapped in it. Like yes. you know, maybe they end up punching the prosecutor. <laughs> that never happens. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. So he, and Worf is very measured at first. He says, you know, I respect the chief's opinion. However, he was not in command that day, which I think makes complete sense. Um, and he also says, given he had the same info, he would have done the same thing, which we find out at the end of the. I mean, one of the lessons he learns in this whole thing is that, like, he shouldn't have done that, um, and he shouldn't do that if that same situation arises in the future. Um, but I think that if he had said that while on the stand, that would have been really bad. 
Yeah. <clears throat> and I also don't think he, I don't think he's lying. I think he just hasn't learned the lesson yet. But yeah, the Klingon advocate is very much trying to paint Worf as he has done all of this on purpose because he doesn't have rank within the Klingon Empire anymore because of his um, dealings with Gowron and going against him. And it's, as I said, like very recently on another Klingon episode, he's always back and forth with Gowron and I can never remember like what's what. <laughs> Um, but he does say there's nothing honorable about killing those who cannot defend themselves. And I felt like the advocate was mostly just probing him and trying to get him to say something that would make him look awful and violent, um, to prove his point. And it kind of works because Worf, as you said, punches him. Um, but I was kind of there for it. I know it approves, it apparently proves that he would attack an unarmed man, but I don't think Punching someone and shooting weapons at someone who's defenseless is the same thing. Um, some people really should get punched. <laughs> like Nazis. And I'm not saying Chapak is a Nazi. I'm just saying, like, I don't think he's a Nazi. But I think, like, some people, it's okay to punch them. Oh, yeah, he was deliberately provoking, right? Like, mm -hmm. so. Eventually, they get Chapak on the stand, which... The Vulcan Admiral is like, I guess you don't have to, but, like, he's willing. And it, him being willing is very similar to earlier in the episode where he's like, I have Worf's, like, private logs or whatever. And Yeah, when you find out what computer games he plays. Yeah. yeah. So, like, earlier, yeah, when he finds all of that out, the Admiral is like, well, you didn't get anyone's permission to, um, to get that information, so we can't put it into evidence unless Worf agrees and and Worf knows this is like a trap because if he says no it looks like he has something to hide and if it says yes he's he could be uh said he could be called a fascist for liking uh a renegade playthrough of Mass Effect 3 or whatever um or any of the Mass Effects so he goes along with it because he's like I'd rather be transparent than look like I'm hiding something which I I get I get that inclination that inclination like I, I get feeling like that's what you need to do so here's where we get our our uh, deuce ex machina situation um there's a manifest list of everyone that was on the destroyed ship but apparently three months earlier they were on another ship that crashed the same exact people that have nothing in common so basically um no one was actually on the ship that Worf destroyed which I think is very silly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh no, all hope is lost. Oh wait, there's more last <laughs> minute evidence. It's like, okay. Yeah. It all feels very wrapped in a nice bow. Um, I do yeah. feel like I would still feel shitty if I was Worf and Worf does still feel shitty after all of this. Um, Cisco is very concerned with like what Worf has learned from this, which he says he should not have taken the mission because he's too emotionally involved um, because of the Klingons, which makes it seem like Chapak wasn't completely wrong about no. Worf. Um, and also, he should definitely have double-checked the vessel, and he got very lucky this time. And they have a lot of, they have a nice conversation, I think, about how sometimes when you're in command, you have to do things you don't want to do for the rest of the troops, which is, in this case, have a party that you're excited, that they're excited you are not going to 
go off um, and ends up on Ruripenthe or something. But you didn't murder a bunch of innocent people? (laughs) Um, And Worf says something very um, interesting. Uh, Life is a bit more complicated in this red uniform. So, which is funny because I just watched the TNG episode where Troy decides to take the commander's test and she keeps failing and it's because... Rest in pass- peace, holographic Jordy. Yeah, because he she has to like send Jordy off to his death in the, in the hollow program test. Um, and the point was is that sometimes people have to die to get the mission done. Um, and it's more important to save the ship than... Not to say the ship, like the physical ship, and set of all of the people, but like sacrificing no, it, one person that whole, the for needs the rest of the many. Of, exactly. I didn't mean like the ship and like kill all the people or anything. But yeah, yeah. It, it feels very. Um, things are more complicated when you're in command. I I agree. Did you have anything else to say about the episode at large? No, I don't. I don't think so. So I think now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water first being mentioned in the context of Star Trek by Doctor McCoy in Star Trek: Through the Search for Spock. Also, a possible reference to Alta from Altair Four in Forbidden Planet. Elise, who are you thirsting for this week? I know we only got a little bit of it, but I'm always thirsting for <laughs> Worf and Jadzia fighting in the Hollow Suite. Like it's hot. I love that they... It's hot. It's sweaty. It's passionate. It's like, I could kill you, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, I do like that, like, Jadzia and Worf have this, because it does similarly remind me of, um, like, Julian and Miles, because they do their, like, cosplay stuff together. And so it just feels like everyone has their, like, besties. But, like, yeah, it's really, it's really nice. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like Rihanna says, S, 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 and M, M, M. All right. <laughs> this week, I am horny for flirting with breaking the fourth wall. I just think that was a really cool device and the way they did it and a nice way to kind of break up the the episode and make something that could be a somewhat forgettable episode more memorable. For um, sure. <clears throat> excuse me. My nominee for most Star Trek thing is, again, we have a trial episode. We uh, tried, tested, and true um, type of Star Trek episode dating back to the original series. And also we had a deus ex machina at the end that magically resolved things off screen, which also feels very like, hey, we're episodic syndicated television. We put all of our toys back to where they started. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, the fact that nothing bad really actually happened, um, it felt like the more most Star Trek thing for me. But yeah, that feels very similar to, like, putting your crayons back in the box. Yeah, exactly. All right. Until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Blue Sky Letterbox and Storygraph at Chicken Tendy. That's T-E-N-D-I. You can find my other podcast, Fangbangers Pod, on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Fangbangers Pod. That's bangers with a Z, as well as anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, you can catch me on, I mean, sometimes Twitter when I'm bored, um, Letterboxd or Blue Sky at MattyQ, M-A-T-T-H-U-G-H. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at PodRace. And you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song.
And until next time, computer and program. Bye.